Ross from the Mac Observer and we have our weekly look at the world of digital media and Apple's place within it. I'm very excited this week for a couple of reasons. One, because we kind of finally made it through January, just about. But actually, I'm recording this on the last day of January and all European football fans know that the last day of January is a very big deal. So I'm particularly grateful today to be joined by Jack Pitbrook from The Athletic. He covers Tottenham Hotspur and the England national team over there at The Athletic. And he should be run off his feet reporting on all the busy transfers that are coming in and out today. Um, so, Jack, thank you so much for taking the time to pop onto Media Plus. Not at all. Thank you so much for having me. Um, full disclosure, I support the teams that Jack reports on. But I've been told by those up high, I'm not allowed to spend 30 minutes just badgering him about football. So we're going to talk on our normal subject. You can if you want to. I, I would love to, but I think many of our listeners would be like, Charlotte, can you just talk about the things we tune in for? Um, we don't want to know where Delhi Alley's going. Um, but it, it, it's kind of an interesting, actually, that's a good entry point to jump in because there's something really fascinating about the model of the athletic. You have moved to more that kind of quick fire breaking news, but that was never the original kind of way the athletic started, was it? It's always been much more in depth sports reporting that you often don't get anymore in other publications. Yeah, that's right. So when I joined in, so I joined when the Athletic launched in the UK in the summer of 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, and at that point, most of what we would publish would be uh, long reads, which had, you know, an awful lot of work had gone into, which we would publish, you know, I don't know, a few times a week per writer. Uh, with an emphasis on depth and reporting and all the rest of it. Whereas I, we have basically really expanded our kind of uh, news power over the last year or over the last kind of two years, I think. I think it would have been, I can't remember precisely when, but I think in the second half of 2020 that we sort of moved into breaking news, um, which now means that as a reporter, you're kind of, I mean, it's, diff it's different for everyone, but personally, I feel like I spend, let's say, half my time trying to, obviously there is overlap between these two things, but you do spend a lot of time both um, chasing after immediate news stories to kind of set the agenda on a sort of immediate basis. And then also a lot of time uh, working on those kind of what some people might characterise as like classic athletic, um, yeah. longer, deeper stuff uh, that obviously takes uh, more time to do than kind of immediate news reporting. And tell us a bit about your kind of reporting background and your journalism background and how you how that kind of came about and how that fits into what the athletics doing now. So I used to work for The Independent. Uh, I worked for The Indy from 2010 through to 2019. And was uh, that during, so that was during the time where it was both a print newspaper and then transitioned to being fully digital? That's right, yeah. So I joined in the second half of 2010 when uh, when The Indy started producing The Eye, which yep. obviously, you know, now it's completely separate from The Indy, but where so, it was initially published by The Indy. Yeah, so the, for those 
who don't know the full British newspaper landscape. The Eye is a kind of was set up as Jack says from the Independent newspaper, which and it was meant to be a kind of smaller daily digest but imprinted classic printed newspaper form and it remains to this day the independent itself transitioned to being fully digital and also the independent on sunday which i did some stuff for back in the day um sadly is no more um but so yeah that's kind of the landscape and that's where you came from so you my point really is you're used to this kind of the kind of roller coaster of daily news reporting as well and the kind of classic match report kind of sports reporting and that kind of thing that's that was where you cut your teeth yeah yeah i think so and i'm very uh, i'm very pleased that i started out working for a newspaper even though obviously what i do now is fully digital um i definitely feel like working at a paper was a really positive experience it teaches you an awful lot about um you know the kind of daily the daily pressures of news and you start you know, you start the day not really knowing what's going to fill the next day's paper and then you put it together over the course of the day it also teaches you things like how to be concise you know mm. how to kind of can you tell us if you can't tell a story in 500 words it's not going to get in the newspaper um i think that's a really interesting point actually that whatever kind of form and brand of digital media people who I speak to on the show come from um that that you kind of in the, in digital media you still turn up every day and have a blank slate and you know the the back end of the, the content management system is still blank when and your notebook is still blank when you wake up in the morning but there is something like you have this space to fill you have a you know you have a product that has to be out by a certain time and that's kind of a very, uh, you know, I have it myself from when I've worked in newspapers, like that discipline is a very interesting thing to bring to digital media. I yeah. Yeah. I see, I see what you mean. I do think it is, I think you'll I think ultimately do have more, more freedom in digital media in the sense that yeah. as a paper, everything, everything you do kind of coheres around, the, the daily rhythm of producing the paper, you know, through from ideas in the morning and then conference at midday and then getting the first edition sent off by 6pm and the second edition sent off by 10pm. And um, everything you do has to fit within that structure. Whereas obviously, if, you know, on, online, that's, those rhythms don't exist in the same way, although obviously, no. you know, publications do want to put out stuff at times when most people are online. Yeah. Whatever. Um, so there is obviously more freedom on this side, but it is. Uh, I do think it is helpful to have that kind of bigger picture in the back of your head, which you do get from from papers. Uh, and equally, particularly, this is particularly pertinent to sports broadcasting and sports writing. There are obviously key times where things are happening, so there's no flexibility to you about say if you were finding a match report i mean the athletic doesn't do those particularly classic kind of match reports but um you know the game ends at a certain time and you might have a story to write at the end of the game in a certain period of time so there's still that kind of structure still exists as well um but while you're talking of freedom in uh, digital media which is one of the things that lots of people who come on the show say they they really enjoy um Obviously, the athletic has expanded hugely, and one of the things people really know about it uh, is the podcast. You're on at least 
two, aren't you? You're on the View from the Lane podcast, which is the Tottenham Hotspur podcast. Uh, I think they let you pop up on football cliches as well sometimes. Um, So I think I heard an advert that says the Athletic now produce 28 hours of audio a week. So basically you could listen to the podcast for more than one day of your whole week, um, which is a huge amount of content for something that started off as really purely written content how do you how do you find jumping between the two uh i really enjoy it i love doing podcasts um that's lucky i yeah uh, i think they're really fun i think there's a good i think they can kind of like marry up well with your written work in the sense mm. that podcasts are obviously less formal and if you say something which is nonsense if you write something which is nonsense in an article you'll get lots of people shouting at you on the internet. And that's kind of fair enough. But if you say something's nonsense in a podcast, then maybe somebody on the podcast will, will say, sorry, Jack, but that's kind of bollocks. And then you can think, yeah, maybe it is. And maybe I won't put that in my piece. So you can use it to kind of workshop ideas a yes. bit or to ex- kind of bounce ideas off other people in such a way that can hopefully improve your work. The, the other great thing that podcasts give you is the opportunity to put a bit of context around your reporting for the benefit of readers and listeners. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, you're not going to go on a podcast and say who your sources are, but you can just give a little bit of a flavor of maybe some of the politics, the dynamics at play behind bits of reporting or things that like, I feel like there's a, if I feel like there's, you know, if you're writing an article, there's a fairly high bar in terms of, are we not going to get sued? Do we have to put this to the people we're writing about and give them right to reply? Do we have to get things multiply sourced? That kind of thing. Whereas I feel like for podcasts, that bar is, I, I mean, I might be slightly out of turn here, but for podcasts, I feel like that bar is slightly lower. I feel like you can say stuff on a podcast that is maybe a little bit more speculative. That I would, I definitely say things on podcasts that I wouldn't necessarily write in an article. Yeah, well, you also have a bit more room to manoeuvre when you're talking, don't you? Right. And, it, and it, the context can be clearer because you're having a conversation as opposed to totally. the more formal structure of an article and said, according to, as you say, multiple sources, according to X, Y, Z. And I think I, I think they, do, The Athletic does this particularly well, actually. I'm not just saying this because you've given up your time, but it's... Um, it's very clear that everything at the athletic into you know weaves into each other very nicely. You have reporters that cover a specific team; they appear on the podcast about the specific team, and those conversations kind of move from one medium to the other. Does that feel natural to you as the people working there? I think so. Yeah, I definitely feel one of the things I like about the athletic is uh, I feel like it's a big but very kind of well organized. Uh, I feel like it's, I mean, it is big, but I don't feel like it's unwieldy. Like, I feel like it's well organized uh, as a company and everybody is pulling in the same direction. You kind of know where everyone fits into the whole bigger picture. Um, so, yeah, you're right. There is a lot of, uh, yeah, I definitely feel like the podcasting and the writing kind of help each other out in a sense. Um, and I hope that that sort of comes across to people who both read our articles and also subscribe to our, listen to our podcast at the same time. And I actually, I also noticed that often in a podcast, you guys will flag up an article that you've written it. So it kind of works both ways as a kind of advert for the written work and the written work adds as an advert for the audio work. 
And one thing there's not a huge amount of on The Athletic is video work. And, you know, you're not, we don't particularly see you and the guys that you do the show with sitting in the studio. You're not particularly conducting um, video interviews. And there's other sports outlets. The Players' Tribune is one that comes to mind that really double down on video and do a lot of high quality video work. Is that something you as an individual reporter would be interested in doing? Is that something you think people within your team and the company are looking into how how does video fit into how all you're doing at the at the athletic well i can't speak for the company on this sure. but from a personal level i'm very happy just sticking to audio <laughs> i if i do video i'm always going to be worried like am i pulling a silly face am i am i if somebody says something that i disagree with have i frowned in a way <laughs> like i'm being really condescending uh I, there's so. a reason the video of this of our conversation never goes out jack because I feel exactly yeah, the same. My, am I worried? Does my face look fat this yeah. morning? And I kind of, like, I'm very happy not to be, I'm very happy to have my voice. And uh, yeah, I don't mind doing audio stuff. In fact, I enjoy it quite a lot, but I would, I wouldn't personally be desperate to go and get video. I would know that from doing, uh, used to do Sunday supplements a bit when I was at the Indy. Right. Which, which is a, great. for those in the US, that's a kind of, one of the big sports shows on a Sunday morning here in the UK, which is going through all the newspapers and the big sports stories of the day. Which is, yeah, I I enjoyed it a lot and I loved the challenge and the pressure of it, but you turn your phone on afterwards and you get thousands of people calling you fat Harry Potter or squashed Richard Richard Osman or whatever else. Oh my goodness. Yeah, um, listen, you've got nothing. I've been... I'm obviously a woman and I've been on TV, so you've got nothing. Right. You don't yeah, want to check the Twitter enough. mentions after that. Um, although now the Harry Potter thing has made me laugh quite a lot. Um, but yes, it's. I also think there's a thing, I mentioned the Players' Tribune, but there's other sports outlets that do this. Um, like producing or a video is a very, very specialist thing. Um, particularly in sports where, you know, you know, that's, that's lots of different complications, maybe with the rights and who you can talk to and what sponsors get shown and all that kind of stuff. It, it does add a different element to it, doesn't it? And like, it need, does, yeah. Yeah. You probably need, I, there is a need for a kind of specialism and a specialist team producing that stuff. And although that exists in audio as well, it can be a bit more spontaneous audio. That's true, yeah. I should say we are, if we plug the brand here, we are actually producing, I mean, we do, we open TIFO, who yes, make videos, yes. which is very, very popular with a slightly younger demographic of, of watchers on YouTube, um, sort of viewers, not watchers. Uh, and also on our Twitter today, we are doing a lot of, I think we're putting out live shows. So we do sometimes put, we do sometimes make video content around mm. a particular event, like for example, deadline day or a particular topic and then put it out on our social media channels so it's something that we do some so it's something that we do sometimes as well as the stuff that tifo does all the time yes yes yeah um and actually while we're talking about the company and the brand we should mention that actually the athletics been involved in one of the biggest uh well given how early we are in the year, probably the biggest uh media deal of the year so far one of it's a uh, the new being purchased by the New York Times for so five hundred and fifty million dollars, um, 
apparently there's 1.2 million subscribers to Athletic, which is a huge, huge, huge number. Um, obviously, Jack will be taken out and shot if he mentions anything about the uh, business side of this deal. But it's a it's a fascinating deal, and I think speaks to the kind of prestige that the Athletic has come to acquire over the years. That you know, a tra- very traditional outlet like the New York Times is interested in a publication that was once perceived as the kind of young upstart in the athletic. And it's a, it's a fascinating deal. And obviously the athletic started in the U S and then as Jack mentioned at the top of the show, moved over to here in the UK and expand and has continued to expand. Um, There is another nice thing, which I think you probably can speak to Jack, which is the kind of number of pure football reports, sports reporters that the athletic brings into its fold and that there are people that you have you work with your colleagues who are completely dedicated to the specific not just sport or football or whatever but to their specific angle in sport I'm thinking of women's football uh you know experts in Italian football that you work with um there's something quite the, the the kind of perhaps it's the part of the subscription model and the kind of dedicated focus of the site allows the people you know that level of expertise in doesn't it yeah it does and that's one of the things that i i think works best about what we do is giving is basically knowing that there is so much that there is so much content out there um, you know in the sports media world that is available for free that if you're going to ask people to pay for stuff it's got to be really good you know it's got to be it's got to be able to tell people stuff they don't know um and i think you can only really do i think specialization really helps a lot in your capacity to do that uh and because we do you know we've obviously employed more people than uh most other newspapers would on sports in the uk that hopefully allows us to to give a kind of a specialization with specialization comes depth uh, that maybe wouldn't be on offer on smaller sports staffs. You know, I worked for a much at the Independent. I was on a team of about, I felt like about three or four reporters, and then the sports desk was another half a dozen people, maybe. And you know, quite inevitably, you have to spread yourself incredibly thinly, uh, which means you jump from topic to topic to topic um, in a way which means, uh, you know, per- personally, you can't really specialize in quite the same way. So. Uh, I definitely, I definitely feel like that that scale of the numbers of people that we have does def- does allow us to do things in more depth and detail. Uh, yeah, as a, as a subscriber, as a reader, it certainly feels like that. That you know, you can get all the breaking news and the rumor and the gossip from normal newspaper sports pages, and that's great. But there's something about uh, the model of the Athletic even though, as you said earlier, that you've kind of expanded the breaking news capacity of it, um, that allows, as fans, as readers, to you to get a wider perspective and, and a bigger pic- look at the bigger picture, I think, of what's going on, whether it's your team specifically, whether it's, you know, the sport in general, whether it's even one kind of who's going to manage this team next, who's, you know, one p- particular story, you have a... The deep level. One of the things I think the athletic does really well is that kind of something big has happened, and then maybe 24, 36, even 48 hours later, there'll be a piece actually kind of outlining the timeline of whatever major incident happened 
And I think that works really nicely because it provides a wider context. And as we know, in all forms of digital media, actually, sometimes that wider context can be lost and you kind of, you just get, everything just becomes noise. And actually it feels to me as a reader that the one of the things about the athletic is trying to cut through the noise a bit. I hope so, yeah. I think I definitely feel with with those kind of pieces that if you can take an extra day or two, wait for the sort of dust to settle a bit, if you could, if you have more inf- more information on how this came about, whether it was, I don't know, so to think of recent examples, the Harry Kane transfer saga, the kind of the summer manager saga wasted 72 days before they ended up in (laughs) Nuno of all people Um, uh, Jack's now just reminiscing Jack's now just all the bad things at Spurs this year bringing up Um, all the traumas I went through this summer as a Tottenham Hotspur fan (laughs) so thank you for that but yeah you're joking it's it's fun to um, like wait for some big event to happen, which you kind of sense is going to happen, and then get all your reporting over the last few weeks or months together in one place and try and retell the story and explain it with a bit more perspective than you can inevitably get if you're just doing a sort of 700 words for the next day's paper. Yeah. Um, Obviously, that comes with risk. I noticed uh, one of your colleagues, Charlie Eccleshare, tweeted uh, that he had... Well, he didn't say it directly, but he said there was a player that was expected to sign for Tottenham Hotspur. It's not happening. And Charlie, judging by his tweet, had obviously spent a lot of time speaking to a lot of people about this player, doing the kind of in-depth work you're describing, only to have this deal collapse and his piece, which I'm sure would have been brilliant, never see the light of day. Um and so obviously there there is an element of risk that comes with all of this as well, isn't there? Particularly in something as fast moving as sport. A bit, yeah. I mean, I think everyone has got stung in that kind of way yeah. in the past. It is just, um, I'm pleased that he was able to see the funnier side of it because it must have been pretty infuriating, but especially as the kind of, I think everybody had been expecting all month, really, for Adama Traore to go to Tottenham. Yeah. And then, obviously, right at the last minute, he goes to Barcelona instead. And uh, yeah, and then poor, so poor Charlie had been working on this piece, and then we, it will never see the light of it. Well, it will never see it up. We'll never see the pixels of it, which is a shame because it would have no doubt been excellent. But um, there was just a couple of other things I wanted to dig in as well, which builds on this. Uh, obviously, the Athletic very successfully operates on a subscription model. Um, is that something you're conscious of as a writer? You know, this idea that actually people are paying for this and this is not you know it's not a free website that people just pop into and we're trying to generate clicks this is something people have dedicated money to it's a longer piece of their dedicated time to do you do you feel that can't you know consciously as you're putting together your pieces as you're putting together your work that's a good question um i think it's always at the back of my mind but it's not I don't feel like I'm thinking about it consciously through mm. the course of work. I definitely feel that uh, standards here are high, and I partic- I think this is also I think this is also to do with publishing fewer articles mm. per week than I would do if I worked to, if I was still at the Independent, for example, mm. because you publish less stuff. 
you're more determined that the stuff that you do publish should be good um, and should people and should be you know sufficiently engaging that people will really want to read it. Uh, so there's yeah. So you, but I'm not sure. I think I can't. I'm not. I'm just trying to think now. I'm not sure how much that is genuinely at the front of my mind. The fact that it is paid for. But at the same time, you are conscious of the fact that if it, it has to be really good to get people to, I mean, the issue is really, it's not so much uh, the people who are already subscribing, but it's, is this going to be good enough to win new subscribers? Because that's what, you know, that's obviously a bit of a motivation. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not the kind of, I don't want to be dismissive of other publications, but it's not the kind of clickbait model of having a really exaggerated headline about, you know, a, you know, perhaps a loose rumour that you hear of going into a transfer window or whatever and trying to get the clicks. It's it's a different kind of model, isn't it? That's, and I think it must help that at the, the, the Athletic was always a subscription product, right? You haven't ever had to convince people to go from having it for free to paying for it. Like when you first launched in the UK, it was always paid for. Right, yeah, 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 yeah that... Uh, I'm sure that is good uh, and definitely in the interest of the company because I know that, you know, other other companies that have gone from free to paywall, it's obviously it's very, obviously very different from if you started as paywall in the first place. Mm. Yeah, and, it, you know, you have to convince readers and listeners in a different way. Um, we haven't really mentioned Apple much in this show and that makes sense in lots of ways, but one interesting thing is that, the athletic when Apple rejigged its podcast app, the athletic was kind of a fairly big part of that because there's channels involved. Uh, it offered a you know a specific channel in the podcast where all the athletic stuff comes together. So even if you've just heard of say Jack's show on the athletic, you might use this the channel and the way Apple now presents it in the podcast app to find all the other shows that they do. As I said, it's about twenty eight hours of audio a week, which is a huge amount. Um, and you've also got there's I think you can subscribe now to Athletic Podcast directly in the Apple Podcast app as well. She says frantically checking her phone. She's right, but um, I think that's quite interesting as well that it's kind of a very fundamental part of how Apple is presenting podcasts and kind of again speaks to perhaps the prestige of how the Athletic is perceived that it was a part of that. Um, I want to also actually you slightly hinted at it before. I want to delve into the kind of more unpleasant side of, I mean, you could talk about this with almost any beat, but there's something specific, particularly in the UK, about football journalism and kind of online abuse and kind of online the response of online fandom, which I think can be distinctly unpleasant sometimes um, here in the UK. And I think the athletic, I don't know if it's a conscious thing or it's just something you guys are enjoying. You guys are often very good at engaging with fans, you know, responding to your stories. But there's a kind of more unpleasant side to that as well, isn't there, that we see sometimes of, you know, the random guy with, with a, you know, a kind of no anonymous username and, uh, you know, brute, a kind of just, just being unpleasant really. And, attacking you guys as if you know shooting the messengers if you have some agenda against their team their club the player they like that there is that other side isn't there yeah yeah i mean foot, uh football obviously gets people very partisan polarized 
on Twitter and if you say something that fans of a certain team don't like, then you're going to know about it. And it can be, uh, you know, it's by no means unique to football journalists, I'm sure. You know, people, uh, there's lots of other uh, lots of other professions and lots of other bits of society will get, get it a lot worse. But you do know, as a football journalist, if you write something that the fans of one team don't like, you, you know, you'll get millions of people tweeting you and you'll get some incredibly unpleasant direct messages and it will last for a day or two and then if you hopefully then they'll go and find somebody else to shout at um so yeah that is a fairly uh fairly routine part now i think of football journalism um Wait. and you just have to try and kind of shut it out of your head a bit I think. yeah personally it's my response to it yeah so you don't kind of find it mate yeah, you don't ever find. I haven't had that moment of just like, oh, I actually can't turn on the Twitter app today. I'm done. Well, to be honest, I have Twitter. I have my my mentions set to uh, show tweets from people that you follow. Right. So that means that, and then every now and then I'll kind of peek behind the curtain <laughs> at, at the tweets from everyone else. Yeah. Um. So I'm. I try to kind of minimise my exposure to that sort of thing a bit. Yeah, it's a hard one because I think journalists, as you say, of all stripes are kind of finding this. But actually, I can tell just from the way you interact online that you actually want to. You want to engage with fans and readers. It's, you're not, you don't just want to tweet the link to your piece and then go off and do something else. Like you, you guys are all pretty good at engaging with people, but that does become increasingly difficult if people are not going to have kind of good faith conversations and just going to abuse. Yeah, that I think that's, I think that's right. To be honest, I mean, I do like interacting with people, but I don't, I kind of like interacting. I mean, being very honest, I like interacting. I don't like interacting with everyone. Sure. I like interacting with people who I kind of, I like chatting with about Tottenham on Twitter, like you and you know, dozens of other Tottenham fans who I think, you know, I'm kind of engaged in mm. in their output and I'm kind of curious what they think about player X or player Y or the manager or whatever else. So I try and keep it to like a, a select group of people to interact with because you can't interact with everyone all the time. One thing I try, one thing I don't, I try to avoid doing is arguing about the merits of my work. Like if you, I don't okay. mind like chatting about, you know, do you think pl- this player is good, but if I put out an article and lots of people don't agree with it, I just I, I can't be bothered to kind of wade in with everyone who doesn't agree with it. So I think if you do that, it will just kind of drive yourself a bit mad. Yeah, and get into a bit of a vicious cycle of yeah. you know, having to justify yourself all the time when particularly the kind of work you're producing, you've probably spent days digging it out. You know it's solid. You know you you know where the stuff has come from. You can't always reveal where the stuff has come from with um you know, to protect sources and actually, yeah. do, do you think actually, and I find this um, with different areas I've covered, do you think sometimes there's a bit of a lack of understanding of how the structures of, in your case, football and in your case, Tottenham Hotspur normally work and people just assume, have different assumptions of how things work day to day than you know as a reporter? And does that come through in these kind of online conversations as well? I think so, yeah. I think there's a bit of that. I, I mean, to be honest, I think football fans, like there's a certain type of very online football fan who actually knows really quite a lot 
mm-hmm. about, you know, who does just about the kind of backgrounds of the players and who all the teenage players at the club are and who has different jobs at the club and uh, and that kind of thing. So I feel like it's, and I think a lot of that is to do with the internet, which means that, you know, you can share this kind of information. But I feel like if you really, if you want to know an awful lot about Tottenham, you can kind of, it, a lot of the information is online. And as a fan, you can kind of dedicate yourself to learning more. That said, there are sometimes, you know, there are occasions when fans will say stuff on, on Twitter and you think, well, I kind of, I could correct them on this particular point, but if you do that, you know that you're only going to fan the flames a bit or you'll risk, you know, betraying some confidential bit of information or, uh, or, and in that case, it's better just to not, not try and get too engaged in these slightly more delicate arguments with fans yeah. and just try, try and let your reporting and your work speak for itself. And it, yeah. And off, as I, as I say, as a reader, it very much does. Just to, to wrap up, what kind of things are you looking forward to? The Athletic, we're still at the start of 2022. What what are you looking forward to in the kind of 11 months of the year we have left? We've obviously got a World Cup coming up, up at the end of the year. Yeah, it's, you're never allowed a break now, Jack. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, the World Cup, I mean, I'm in, in the immediate term, I'm interested to see how much Conte improves Tottenham. Can he get them back in the Champions League? Uh, you know, like like Spurs fans, I would love it if Tottenham were back in the Champions League. Um, the stadium was built to host Champions League games, and I think it's hosted about three or four. Um, yeah, you're gonna, you're really up. Listen, you're on my show. Listen, now you're upsetting me again. Um, so that would be that would be fantastic. Uh, and then, yeah, the World Cup. I mean, the, the World Cup is. Uh, with, I mean, I can't count onto my head, but it starts in mid-November. It's about to yeah. be February, so it's what ten months away. Something like that, um, yeah. Uh, what is time that, anyway? Yeah, and so that is obviously obviously going to be a huge thing for everyone. Really, I kind of have no. I think it's going to be weird in many ways um, for all the obvious reasons: the time of year, the fact it's in Qatar. Um, Yes, it's gone from being a summer tournament often in Europe or South America um, to a winter tournament in the Middle East for this time, which is a kind of fascinating dynamic. Uh, So I don't don't really know what to expect um, on or off the pitch, but it's obviously going to be a huge event. Mm. So a busy, busy... 10, 11, 12 months ahead for you. Jack, thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak to us on Media Plus. Where can people keep up with you and your work? So you can find me on Twitter at Jack Pitbrook. Uh, it's P-I-T-T-B-R-O-O-K-E. Or you can read me in The Athletic or hear me on The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast. I'm at Charlotte Henry on the Twitters. And of course, I'm over on the Mac Observer every day. So do join us over there. If you enjoyed the show, share and subscribe and I'll see you next week.